0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. It's funny because uh, Judd came up to me and said, hey, what do you think Paul was talking about in that verse where he said, I haven't, not that I've laid a hold of it yet, but this one thing I do. And I just started laughing and showed him what I was looking at on my phone. It was that verse. I was actually reading that exact thing at that moment when he walked up. Um... (laughs) Because when we, were, when we were worshiping just now, we were singing um, that there's no shadow, you won't light up, no mountain, you won't climb up, uh, no wall, you won't kick down or lie, you won't tear down. As I was singing that, I just honestly felt like the Lord was saying, Roy, when, when you get a hold of me, when my love gets a hold of you, this is true about you. That there's no shadow, you won't light up. Like when you go into a dark place and there's shadows there and you carry the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill. Nobody lights a lamp to cover it with a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. Why? Because light was made to dispel darkness. It's not just light for the sake of light. It's light to destroy the dark. And when the love of God is compelling you, Paul said, the love of God compels us. What does that mean? It means that the love of God controls us, it compels us, it urges us, it pulls us into what God has for us. And when you're being compelled by the love of God, think about it. There's no shadow you won't light up. You walk into a room and you see darkness and the first thing that comes to your mind is, thank God that you've sent me here, Lord, with the light of the world inside of me. You start just releasing light. There's not a contest between light and dark. You've never turned on a light switch and the dark said, wait a minute. The second light comes, darkness, please. It has to. It has to. You can't turn up the darkness. The only thing that can happen is the light can be extinguished. The light can be dim. That's why Jesus said that. He said, listen, you weren't lit on fire. You're a lamp. You are a vessel filled with the Holy Spirit. The oil of God. And he said, you weren't filled so that you could be set somewhere and a basket put over you. He said, you're the light of the world. A city set upon a hill. A lamp set upon a lampstand. Nobody pours oil into a lamp and lights it so they can cover it with a basket. They put it in a place where it can shed the most light. And God's done that with you in your life. He's put you on a lampstand somewhere. In the place He's placed you, He intends for you to bring light. There's no shadow that you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb. up. remember in the Old Testament, in the psalm, David said, who can ascend the mountain of God? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And there was nobody who could ascend the mountain because nobody had clean hands and a pure heart. So God himself in the form of Jesus came down off the mountain. And He dwelt among men. And then He shed His blood and gave His life so that you could have a pure heart and clean hands so that once again, you could ascend the mountain of God and you could be with Him. There's no separation. There's no hiding. There's no mountain that you won't... When you're controlled by the love of God, there's no mountain that you won't climb up to get to Him, coming after Him. Think about it. Everything we just sang... There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up. Going after me, coming after the Father, there's nothing that you won't do when the love of God is what compels you. There's no wall you won't tear down. People build walls all the time. They've been hurt. Listen, you're surrounded by people who have been hurt. Every single one of you are. You have people around you that the world has done things to them. People have done things to them. Life has let them down. Disappointments, abandonment, abuse. There's things that have happened to people all around you. And because of that, they decide the best thing they can do is just build this wall around themselves so that they never get hurt again. The problem is is that walls are just as good at keeping love out as they are at keeping hurt out. And when you're controlled and compelled by the love of God, there's no wall that you won't tear down. It doesn't matter how stony their heart seems, how hard their exterior seems. It doesn't matter if they reject you over and over and over and over again because you believe that they're worth it. You believe that they are worth the love of God that you carry inside of you. You're the light of the world. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory for the world. That's the only hope of glory the world has is Christ in you. He's so confident that when his love compels you, it'll be released into this world that he was able to say that you're the light of the world. Jesus said in the beginning he came into the world and he was light. And men didn't know him because they loved darkness more than light. So he comes into the world, but then at some point he gives himself to his disciples and he says, now you're the light of the world. There's no wall you won't kick down. Listen, it doesn't mean you walk up to somebody and say, I'm just going to tear your wall down and I'm going to love you. <laughs> might look like every day, one by one, the bricks come down. One by one, one truth, one kind word, one smile, one word of encouragement, one scripture, one act of kindness. And one by one, those walls start to come down brick by brick by brick. And all of a sudden, there they are, vulnerable, ready to be loved, capable of being loved. There's no wall you won't tear down. There's no wall that you won't just kick down destroyed. There's no lie you won't tear down. Listen, it's because the truth is in you when you hear something that's not true. It just grates on you. Because why? Because truth is the only thing that's promised to set people free. Jesus said, if you're my disciples, you will know the truth and and, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so when you see people living under the influence of a lie, you'll go after that thing with truth in love. But with truth, realizing they don't need somebody else to make them feel comfortable where they are and allow them to continue to live less than Jesus died on a cross for them to live. They need truth because they need freedom because Jesus said it was for freedom that you've been set free. And when you carry the truth, when the truth of God has set you free, when you see someone living under the influence of a lie, you can't help yourself. You just want to go after that thing. Because you know that when their eyes are open to truth and they actually see who God created them to be and they see Him for who He is, they see Jesus hanging on a cross, bleeding for their sin, and then resurrected victoriously, overcoming everything, and then saying, I have overcome the world. Now take heart, because you're in me. You just want to give that truth to everybody. There's not a single lie that you won't tear down. Because you believe that the truth that you carry is the hope of the world. It's the light of the world. It's the glory of God that's been concealed within you. And it's the glory of a king to to reveal a matter. To search it out. To share with others. So I just want to encourage you. Listen, when you sing that song... Yeah, it's so true. There's no mountain that God won't climb up. There is no shadow that He won't light up. There is no wall He won't tear down, no lie He won't destroy coming after you. But once He's apprehended you, once He's got your heart, He believes the same is true about you. That once you get one taste of who He is, once you see Him for who He is and you discover who you are in Him and you start to get it, that you'll just come after Him wholeheartedly, abandoning everything like Peter in a boat saying, I'm leaving my coat and I'm going into the water and I'm coming after Him. I don't even want to wait till the boat gets to the shore. i have to have him there's nothing that will keep me from him father i just pray for that reckless abandonment inside of us god because your love inside of us and if your love is reckless and abandoned god then the love of you inside of us is reckless and abandoned i just thank you for that god right now we just say if there's any fear of man that keeps us from acting on things that you've called us how many of you guys know that god's called you to do something just being honest listen How many of you know that God's called you to something and fear of man has kept you from doing it? How many? It's okay. You can Look, some people did this. It's okay. That's fear of man. (laughs) If you're going to get set free from that thing, the first thing you can do is raise your hand loud and proud and answer that question, right? Listen, that's what the fear of man wants to do. It wants to keep your hands as low as possible. It wants to cripple you. It wants to control you. It wants to be the thing that determines what you do, what you say, where you go, how you live, because it's terrified. That spirit of fear is terrified of the spirit of God. Anybody, anybody here that feels like the fear of man has kept them from something that they know God has called them to? Guys, let's just, let's just, you don't even have to get up. There's just too many, right? Anybody else? Go ahead, raise your hand, keep it up real quick. Let's get over that thing right now. Let's just be honest and say, you know what? I've let what people think about me matter to me so much that I've actually been disobedient. And it hurts to say that, but admitting the truth is the first step in actually getting set free from it and saying, I'm not going to continue to live that way because there's no shadow that he won't light up. That thing that's in the dark, he's not, he does, he's not okay with that. He wants to light that thing up. He wants to set it on fire. He wants it to burn and blaze. Raise your hands up. Guys, let's just pray right now for, the, for everyone that has their hand raised, that the boldness of God would come upon them in such a way that there's nothing that man could ever say or do that would keep them from living out loudly what they know god's called them to father i thank you for that right now for boldness to fill every single person whose hand is raised god i thank you that they would understand god that it's not them that people reject it's you god that our fear of rejection would die when we understand that we've been accepted by you what could man say that our fear of disapproval would die when we know that you approve of us what could man say that our fear of not being loved would be just shattered by the truth that You loved us. And I thank You for that, God. I ask for it to go. And the spirit of boldness, clothed so beautifully in love, would come upon every person. In Jesus' name, amen. morning. How is everyone? I'm serious. I was screaming that towards the end of that song. There's no shadow you want. I was just thinking about like the Father encouraging us because He believes in you. He really does. He believes in you. It, when we're faithless, He's faithful. That means even when I doubt myself, He believes in me because it's His Spirit inside of me and He's undefeated. He's never lost. He's never not accomplished what he came to accomplish, ever. He has a perfect record. Just like Floyd Mayweather. I've seen some people look looked a little tired this morning. <laughs> Might have stayed up watching a fight last night. If you call it that. Anyway. No, but listen. He's undefeated. He's never tasted defeat. He doesn't even know what it feels like to lose. And He's so confident that His Spirit inside of you, that you walking in what He created you to walk in, and you being the person He created you to be, He's so confident in that, that He boldly sends you into the world. And He declared, Jesus said this. Imagine this. The One who is the light. The One who is the light of the world. He is the light, right? Right? has the audacity to look at this rogue group of fishermen, doctors, and tax collectors. He looks at them and he says, you're the light of the world. Just picture that for a second. Picture Jesus. Eyes burning like fire. Not, Not Jesus hanging on a cross dead, resurrected Jesus with eyes burning like fire and hair like crystal who shines as bright as the sun staring you in the face and saying to you, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. I never light a lamp to put it under a basket. Uh Uh-uh. I lit you on fire to put you on display. I want to put you on a stand because I want the world to be lighted by the light that's in you. That's that's what He said over you. All you have to do is believe it and live like it's true. How could you ever be intimidated when the greatest force that has ever existed lives inside of you? Think about that. Knowing God and what He says about you and what He believes about you is the end of the fear of man. Actually believing is that you're loved by God, that you're approved of by God, should destroy any fear of being disapproved of by people or rejected by people. Because what does it matter what people think when I know what He thinks? And it's not a calloused attitude, right? It's not a hard heart that says, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. That's a hurt person. That's a hurt person putting up a wall that says, I don't care what you think before you tell me. That way if you say something bad, I've already told you that I don't care so it doesn't hurt me. See, they're so hurt it's ridiculous. But it's someone who loves people enough to say, I don't care if you respond the way I want you to or not because there's a truth that's greater than my feelings. And I love you too much to worry that you may reject me and to sacrifice the truth that I carry for the acceptance that you might offer. That's the heart that God wants to put inside of you. You can just look at people with tears in your eyes and you can say to them, I don't care. Look, I want you to like me. But if you don't, I'm not willing to sacrifice the truth that you need to hear for the chance that you'll like me. Because I'm not doing you any favors. You know, Paul says that he speaks for the approval of God. That means that there's things that, that we're, in our actions that should actually care about God approving of them. It's not God approving of me. He approves of me because I'm His son, because of who I am. But there's a part of me that I want Him to approve the things that I do, not just who I am. I don't want my dad to have to constantly look at me and be like, I hate what he does, but I love him because he's my son. He'll do that, and that's grace. But I don't want to live in that place. I don't ever want that to be an excuse for saying I'll just live how I want to live and God will love me because I'm his son that'd be like your son or your daughter at home just absolutely breaking every single rule that you gave them destroying your house destroying your trust destroying their own lives and looking at you and saying yeah but you can't hate me I'm your son you have to approve of me what kind of relationship is that I don't ever want to find myself in that place where i'm leaning on the fact that he won't hate me because of what i do then as an excuse for not doing the things i know he's called me to i want to live for his approval i want my life to be lived for his approval i don't want him to just approve of me and go oh my gosh i wish roy would just get it i love him so much And if he would just see who I created him to be, but I can't stand the way that he's living, I never want him to feel like that. I never want to have to lean on that. I want to be able to say, God, I'm living for your approval. I know you love me because I'm your son, but I want you to love the things that I do. I want to bring glory to your name. I want to bring honor to your name, God. I want to be able to say to people, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. I want to live a life of integrity. I want to live a life of of compassion for other people. I want to live a life where I'm not afraid that people are going to find out what I've been doing because everything that I've been doing has been done in the light of God. Why would it matter if man saw it? I want to live a life that I stand before him, clear-eyed, and I can say to him, as far as I know, the devil has no place in me. To the best of my ability, God, I'm not giving him any room. I'm coming after you. I want to lean on the fact that He'll never leave me or forsake me. You know, that wasn't an excuse. That wasn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. That was a declaration of His love. He didn't say, I'll never leave you or forsake you, so that you could just go live your life however you want and then stand on that Scripture. He said that because He loves you and He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't listen. Don't ever buy into that lie that says that, well, God approves of everything I do. No, he doesn't. Because he says those whom he loves, he disciplines. If he approves of everything you do, there's nothing to discipline. We gotta take the whole counsel of Scripture. We've created this God, you know, God made Lucius Lewis said, God made man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. We've created this marshmallow God that's that's a that's a portion of who he is but not the fullness of who he is he's a jealous god he's in heaven he's jealous for your affection he's jealous for your attention he's jealous for your time he's jealous for your heart and when you give it to other things it breaks his heart not because he's in heaven offended but because he knows the best thing that you can do is to give yourself to him Because He loves you. That's how He can be a jealous God without being in sin like we would if we were jealous. Because it's not for His own sake, it's for your sake. Because He loves you. He's the shepherd wanting to lead you into green pastures. Not so He can eat, so you can eat. He makes you lie down in green pastures for your sake. He leads you to cool water, not because He ever needs a drink. He's never been thirsty Ever. That's how you know on the cross He was fully man. When He said, I thirst. Why? Because He told the woman at the well, if you drink of Me, you'll never thirst again. How can the one who said if you drink of Me, you'll never thirst again fully thirst? It had to mean at that moment that He had become the sin of the world. That's the only way He could ever thirst. All right. Good, good word, Roy. Awesome. No, it, no, 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 no. It's too late. It's too late. You missed your opportunity for sincerity. And don't try to make it up when I say something corny later. I'll know. So will he. And he doesn't approve of everything you do. But he does love you. All right, so uh, we're going to actually take up our offering right now. I was just going to launch into the message. but um, So everybody here that has something they're going to give, take it out, just put it in your hand, and we're going to just declare these things together. We have a few of these declarations that we're going to be doing, but it's just so good to have the Word of God come out of your mouth. And so every one of these declarations, when we say thank you, we're thanking Him for a promise, and when we say we believe, we're declaring what the Word says is true. You ready? Get your offering out. Matthew, get it up on the screen, because I don't have it in my notes. Yeah, ready? We're gonna declare this together. Thank you, Lord, for Your hand of favor and blessing on our lives. We believe that every good thing we have is from You. Thank You for the abilities You have given us. We believe that You delight in the prosperity of Your servants and that it is You that gives us the power to make wealth. Thank You for creative ideas and solutions. We believe that as Your children, we have access to the greatest creative force that has ever existed. Thank You for favor and opportunity. We believe that You open doors no man can shut. Thank You that we have no lack. We believe that You are aware of our needs and have more than enough to supply according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Give us wisdom to steward our resources well for your glory. Help us to always remember why we are blessed, that we would never live selfishly, but always led by your Spirit, looking for opportunities to be a blessing. God, we thank you for that. We thank You that every one of the we-believes comes straight from Your mouth and Your Word, God. And that as we declare that, we tell our, our minds, no matter what life would tell us, we believe Your Word over anything. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, it's important that you get to a place where, where you actually live that way. Where you get so established in truth that you just live according to truth. No matter what's going on around you. I was talking to someone yesterday who had been struggling with anxiety. And they said, you know, I haven't even been able to eat. It's like I haven't wanted to eat. We were just talking through that, you know, how, how, what to do about that. And what, 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 what should I do? And I said, listen to me, you're not created for anxiety because Jesus said, be anxious over nothing. That means that there's nothing that you should ever need to be anxious about. You can choose anxiety. And you can actually feel anxiety and then latch on to that anxiety and allow that to become your reality. But if Jesus said, be anxious over nothing, then that means that He died for a place that you can live in without anxiety and be anxiety free. Not that we don't have things that come against us. Not that we don't come into things in this world. Not that we don't have moments where we just go to Him and say, God, I don't know what to do, help. But we come to a place where we're not okay living anxiously. Because we realize that if Jesus said not to, then He provided it away for us not to. I said, so what you need to do is this. You need to realize God created your body to eat food. And so, as an act of war, go sit down and take food. And I don't care if you have to chew it up and push it down your throat with your finger, you tell yourself, I'm going to live by what God has said over me more than over what I feel. I'm not going to allow what I'm feeling in this moment to dictate the way that I live. I will no longer stop eating because anxiety is telling me that I can't eat. I will sit here and I will look you in the face and I will see it for what it is. And I will chew the food and I'll swallow the food. And I don't care if I have to sit there for an hour. I'm going to do it because I'm going to live by what I know to be true and not by what I feel. You'd be amazed at how many times in your life when you start to live that way, the things that were trying to come against you can't stand because darkness can't stand in the face of light. You start declaring truth over your life. You start just believing what the Word says. Even when you don't see it. Even when you don't see it. It doesn't matter if you see it. We walk by faith and not by sight. So that doesn't even, that's irrelevant anyways. Just look and say, God, this is what Your Word says. This is what I know that You said is true. And I'm going to live as though what You said is true. And these feelings can absolutely do whatever they want to do, but they're not going to control the way that I live. They can't have me because You bought me with a price. My life doesn't even belong to me anyways. You know, it's in your Bible. your life doesn't belong to you. You were bought with a high price. The price tag on your life was the blood of Jesus Christ. He thought you were worth that. It's high time that we actually start to believe that we are worth what he says we're worth. It's not humility to think less of yourself than God says about you. It's absolutely the most arrogant thing that you could do. And it sounds so humble to say, "Well, I'm just this and I'm just that." Who told you that? Well, uh, God, I heard you coming, and I was, I was in, I knew that I was naked, and so I hid. Who told you you were naked? What's God saying? I never said that to you. Why would you live according to that versus what I've said? It's a good word, Roy. right. um, I want to... I want to try today, if you weren't here last week, I would recommend listening to the podcast. If you weren't here the week before that, listen to that one. Because we've been on this, we've been kind of weaving a thread for quite a while now, and they all kind of lead to the other. Uh, but I, I kind of want to bring a little bit of balance to the message from last week. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm not here to criticize anything that I said last week. I'm not up here to be double-minded and say what I said last week doesn't mean what I said. But I am saying that there is a, there's a danger sometimes if we only hear one side of something that we start to just go full after that without realizing there's also another side of the coin and that both sides are actually necessary. You know, it's like, it's like the teaching of the love of God without teaching the fullness of what His love really is. You know, so we reduce love to nice. God's not always nice in the way that we would call nice. Because it pleased Him to crush His Son. There was a purpose, obviously. But I don't know many fathers that could say that it pleased them to see their son go through what Jesus went through. His nice is better than we understand. But it's greater than we understand also. So I, I want to... Um, we talked last week just about words of knowledge and words of wisdom. These are spiritual gifts. Um, and I just want to say like, that, that, that gifts are, are an amazing addition to the Christian walk, but they are not the entirety of the Christian walk. And we get into trouble when we start making a gift, something that we pursue more than the one who actually gave the gift. And I know it's a common thing to say, pursue the giver, not the gift. But I'm saying in our own lives, if we value a word from someone more than we value the word of God that we have, that we hold in our hand, we are getting ourselves into grave danger. And here's why, because if you're seeking out something from a man that God has already spoken in his word, it's a form of unbelief because what you're saying is, God, I know what your word says, but I want to hear it from a person. And, and, and every single cult that has ever existed at some point has this form where this one person or this group of people are the only ones who exclusively can hear God for other people. That's how people get controlled, manipulated, abused, and all these other things. So listen to me. I, I, I want to try to bring a little bit of balance to what we were talking about last week because I want us to be mature Christians who actually don't just live off of milk. Milk is something that's been processed by somebody else and it's fed to their young. And milk is great. For a baby. But eventually, they need to actually get to a place where they're digesting their own. And they're gleaning from it. And they're actually capable of giving milk to other people because they're receiving firsthand from the Father. They have something they can actually pass to the younger. Paul said, by now, I I wanted to be giving you meat. Like, what was he saying? He's saying, listen, I, there was a time I came to you and you needed milk of the Word. You were brand new baby Christians and you needed to know milk. You needed stuff that was processed. Through. By now, I wanted to come and just give you meat. I wanted to give you revelation from the Father or I wanted to point you in the direction of finding revelation from the Father so that you could actually take something and process it for yourself and you're not just receiving from others, but you're receiving directly from Him. I want every one of us to be in that place where, listen, it's awesome to listen to podcasts, it's awesome to listen to messages, it's awesome to talk with friends and get opinions and do all those things, but at the core of your walk with Him is this relationship between you and the Father, where you value Him and you value His Word and you value what He speaks into your life more than anything else. And then gifts are an amazing addition to your life. Because it would be just as foolish to live your life without the gifts that God promised that He called gifts as it would be to live your life making more out of the gifts than anything else. Equal, equal danger in the imbalance of both of them. Because you're totally missing out On gifts from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. The the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow returning. What's He saying? If I gave you a gift, it's a good thing. It's not a negative thing. He said, who of you, if your children would ask Him for bread, would give Him a stone? Or if you ask you for fish, you give Him a scorpion or a snake? What's He saying? If you ask Me for these things, like Paul told us to in chapter 14, He said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, right? Earnestly desire them. You realize, that's a command in your Bible just as much as don't have hatred in your heart towards your brother. And we take one as like this weird thing and we take the other one as a very serious thing. And the same God, the same God who is the Word, said both of them. He said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love. Pursue Him. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts and above all that you could prophesy. Above all that you can speak things to people that are from the heart of the Father. And so... um, so we talked about words of knowledge and words of, of wisdom. These are you know things that, that God shares with us that we share with people that come from Him. You know, we talked about the the, the scriptural basis for it, Jesus saying, In that day they're going to take you before kings and before rulers of the land, and they're gonna think they're there to put you on trial, but it's actually so you can share your testimony. He says, Take no thought beforehand in what you will say. But when you open your mouth, I'll give you the words to speak. What's he saying? This isn't going to be wisdom that comes from you. You just trust Me and go where I've called you to go. And when you open your mouth, the things that you say will be wisdom from Me. You don't have to figure it out for yourself. There's times in your life where you're going to need the wisdom of God because even if you tried to think about it beforehand, you had no idea what the response should be or what the answer was. That's when you need the gift of the Word of Wisdom. Word of Knowledge, remember? you know Nathaniel, before I saw you under the fig tree, I mean, before he, Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel says, how do you know Me? Oh, you know Me. He says, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile, whom there is no deception. He says, I, I'm known. I, this guy knows me. How do you know me? Well, I saw you before Philip called you. You were under the fig tree. What is that? It's a word of knowledge. Something that had already happened that the Spirit of God showed him. And when he spoke it, it unlocked Nathaniel's heart to be able to receive what Jesus wanted to tell him. He said, Nathaniel, you think it's crazy... I'm paraphrasing... You think it's crazy because I said that I saw you under a fig tree? I'm telling you, you're going to see even greater things than this. You're going to see the heavens open above the Son of Man and angels ascending and descending. What's He saying? Oh, you you think that's nuts? Just wait. I didn't tell you that just so that you could be impressed with Me. I told you that so that the next thing I tell you would carry the weight that it's supposed to so that you would have an ability to believe Me. Because just a minute ago, you were questioning if anything good could even come from Nazareth. Now you're looking at Me and saying, you know Me, and you really are the Christ. If Jesus needed those things to convince people of who He was, there's a chance that sometimes in our life we'll need those same gifts to convince people of who He is. I'm just saying that if He needed it, there's a chance that at some point we probably will too. Because He said, as the Father sent Me into the world, so I also send you. So he's saying, the way God sent me into the world with the same mission to reveal who he is and to show people the love of the Father, to preach the gospel, to do all the things that he called us to do. He said, the same way the Father sent me into the world, I'm also going to send you. But I'm not going to give you the things that I had. I want you to figure out a better way to do it than I did because you'll do it so well, you won't need any of those things that I needed. It's not what he said. It's not in your Bible, and it doesn't even make sense. It sounds so arrogant to say that, yet we could live our lives that way if we're not careful. So why like Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. What's he saying? I don't want you to live your life ignorant of the things that God wants to give you. Not for yourself, but for other people. Everything's for always for other people. Always. Your life is not your own. It belongs and exists so that you can love God and love others. You don't even own it anymore. That's why suicide is the most selfish thing that you can do because you're taking something that's not yours to begin with. Your life doesn't even belong to you. It's not even a question of whether or not you can take it. It's not yours to take. It's the biggest lie. The biggest lie. It's just pure deception. People get deceived to a point where they feel like there's nothing left and there's no other hope. That's why we need to make sure that we're living our lives in a way that everywhere we go, we display the hope of the Gospel because you're actually the light of the world and the hope of glory is Christ in you. And you never know when that person next to you has had some crazy thoughts. And maybe they need some hope. Thanks, Marie. So... Most of the time when I've given someone a word, I've given people words where it was like stuff that was just completely out of nowhere, right? Like a woman comes up and needs prayer, and they have been trying forever, can't have a baby. Doctors have told them that there's a likely chance they will never have a baby, and I'm just praying for her, and I feel like inside of me, and I didn't hear a voice from heaven say something loudly inside of me, I felt like there was just unforgiveness and bitterness in her heart. And so I looked at her and I said, I feel like you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and even towards your husband. And the minute that you actually will, will forgive and repent, your womb will be open and you'll have a baby. That's just what I felt like God said, so I declared it. Two months later, she's pregnant. Had a baby. I didn't know that like I had some brilliant thing and it's not like God spoke audibly I just had this knowing because the spirit of God's inside of me and so because I I knew something that I shouldn't know there's a good chance that that's God telling me that I open my mouth and I speak it to her she has the choice to believe it or not she has the choice to act on it or not that's something I want to just tell you guys listen there's another danger that comes with living by the prophetic is this is that we think because we have a word there's a guarantee attached to it because if God spoke it then it has to come to pass Be careful. Be careful because a lot of times a word for someone in particular, a person, is not so much a guarantee as it is a a display of God's heart for them and there's potential in that word, but there's also something required of that person many times. So think about this. You can open your Bibles up and and we'll make it official. Genesis chapter 3. This is why the people of Israel are just being completely... I mean, it's not Genesis 3, it's Exodus 3. Yeah, it must be Exodus three. I got Genesis written down there. I don't know why. Um, it's verse seven. It says the Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people, who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, from that land to a place." That is good and spacious to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So God says to Moses, he comes along, he says, listen. I've seen and I've, I've seen the way that they've been treated and their cries have reached my ears and it's time for me to deliver my people out of here. And I'm going to take them from this place and I'm going to bring them into this land. That's his heart. For who? For the people who are crying out to him. For the people who are enslaved. This is God's heart. He tells Moses, you're going to be the man that's going to bring them there. You're going to take them into that land. And so he declares that this is his heart. This is what he wants to do. But then he brings them out of, the, out of Egypt and he says to them, I want you to trust me and I want you to obey me. I don't want you to be fearful and I want you to know that I'm going to go before you and that you're not going to drive the enemy out of the land. I will drive them out of the land Then all you'll do is come behind me and walk in what I've already done. That's all I ask is that you trust me and you obey me. Two simple things. That's it. Two simple rules. Just trust me and obey me if you'll do this. But he already declared to Moses that he was going to do it, but then when he says it to the people, there's a condition in there. Why is there a condition in there? Because Just because he told Moses that's his heart, that means that at some point this is going to happen. But when he's speaking to the people, he says, this is what I want to do. This is my heart for you, but there's something I'm going to require of you. And the people don't do it. Except for two people. Coincidentally, they're the only two people who they and their families actually get to enter into the Promised Land. Why? Because Just because God declared His heart to them and showed them His heart doesn't mean that there's nothing required on their end. They can put it in cruise control because if God said that's what He wants to do, then that's what He's going to do with me. You can't just take a word and think, well, if God said that, then there's nothing that's going to be required of me, because if God declared that, then that's what's going to happen. When you, Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because in between the calling and the actual stepping into it, a lot of times there's a time of preparation and there's a time of testing, and many people who are called never actually step into what they were called to, because they don't make it through the time of preparation and testing. Listen, it's right in the Bible. It says, now we see in Hebrews. It it gives us the answer why they couldn't enter into where God called them to. And it it doesn't say, now we see that God changed His mind and decided He didn't want to do the thing He wanted to do. It says, now we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. But I thought God said He wanted to take them into that land. He did. But I thought He said He heard the people who had cried out to Him and that He had come to deliver them. He did. But somewhere along God revealing His heart for what He wanted to do and them actually stepping into what God had called them to, there was this thing required of them called obedience. I just want to just caution everybody, but especially young believers, a lot of times God will show you things that He has in store for you in your life. He'll reveal them to you. The Spirit inside of you will begin to show you God's plan for your life, His will for life. You'll have people that will come along and give you words and tell you about things they feel like God's called you to. Don't ever let that become a source of arrogance and don't ever let that become a reason to be lazy. Because either arrogance or laziness can keep you from actually stepping into the things the Father has for you. Not because He's keeping you from them, because you're keeping you from them. Um, I, I would just just was thinking about this and I don't have like a typical message, like I normally do, but just some things that I want to make sure that before we move on to what's next, that we really get these things in us. But I was thinking about this: that Jesus spends 30 years preparing for three and a half years of ministry. You know, we spend 30 days and we feel like God, what, what, why, how are you so slack in your promises towards me, God? (laughs) 30 months, he's abandoned me. Surely that was not the Word of the Lord. Surely God didn't really Listen, we laugh, but it's the truth because sometimes we go 30 days or 30 weeks or 30 months and we feel like God has completely abandoned me or I completely missed it because what He promised me hasn't come to pass. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for what He knew He was called to at 12 years old. At 12 years old, He knew who He was because when they came looking for Him, He said, why are you surprised? didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? At 12, he understands who he is and what he's called to. And he doesn't step into it for 18 more years. And he's perfect. So he didn't miss it. You know, a lot of times we think, well, someone must be being disobedient because this is what God called them to, and we don't see them stepping into it. You would have said that about Jesus had you watched his life, because from 12 years old to 30 years old, he was being completely obedient, doing exactly what God called him to do, and yet he wasn't stepping into the thing that he was born for, that he came to earth for. And a lot of good charismatics would have been like, well, I guess between him getting the word and where he's at, there must have been some unbelief or disobedience, There must be some hidden sin in there. Maybe it's a generational curse, something we can break off and bind. (laughs) Woo! We'll we'll start digging and fishing for things because there has to be a reason and maybe sometimes the reason is, is because you haven't stepped into what He's called you to because He hasn't prepared you yet to be the person that you need to be when you step into that place. And He is more concerned with you being ready to step into it than He is with your timeline. I promise you. God, why have You forsaken me? I know, I'm, I'm just like, yes! If we get this stuff. Because listen, discouragement comes when we feel like something God has promised us is not going to happen or has taken so long or has delayed. David, 14 years. 13 and 14 years from the time he's crowned king to the time he sits on the throne. And guess what? It got to him. Why have You forsaken me, God? they they, you you have you have abandoned me that my enemies want to devour my flesh you hate me this is david in caves we don't write these songs like that anymore thank god you imagine that'd be a real big hit someone one of the worship leaders got on stage and said god why have you forsaken me you've turned your head away from me and my enemies are are standing at the gate ready to consume me i am nothing I'm laid before them, naked and bare. You, you, you guys would all look at them like, what? And we might not write songs like that, but we will develop attitudes like that if we're not careful. Because the thing that God has spoke to us hasn't manifested yet, and we start to think that certainly there must be something wrong. Or if we see it in people's lives, like sometimes when God shows you something to tell somebody. Remember, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you know, hey Timothy, don't forget fan into flames. The gift is put inside you. What's he saying? He's saying, Timothy, I already laid my hands on you. You already have the giftings inside of you that you need. But there's something that's required of you, Timothy. You fan the flames. You go after them. You don't need more from God. Not in that respect. You need to fan the flame of what God already placed inside of you. You don't need another coal. You just need to fan the flame so that coal bursts into one. Come on, Timothy. Lay some wood on that thing. Get in the Word and start studying. Start seeking God and asking God, if this is who I am and this is who You've called me to be. What do I need to do in the in the meantime to make sure that when I get to where You've called me to, I'm the person I need to be to step into it, and seek Him out, ask, seek, knock. These things are in there because He really wants you to ask and seek and knock. It's not just so that we have things to hang on doors or cute posters to make. It's, there's a promise from God It says, for everyone that asks will receive, and everyone who seeks will find, and everyone who knocks, it will be opened unto them. That's a promise from God, but there's something on It doesn't say, ask, seek, knock, and if you don't, I'll just give it to you anyways through a prophetic word. It would be a violation of what he spoke. Because a lot of times, the things that He has for us require something on our end. And people say, well, yeah, but we're human beings, not human doings. We just have to be. (laughs) You guys have heard that before, right? I'm not the only one. I've heard it, right? No, just be, bro. Listen, that's in regards to your salvation and who you are in Christ. But you were saved unto great works that He prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Let's not confuse salvation with the, with the Christ life that we're called to. As the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. Christ was always going somewhere. He was always doing stuff. And a lot of it was motivated by the prophetic words over his life. He goes into the temple and he chases people out. Why? Because zeal for his Father's house would compel him. Consume him. He's sitting there with the disciples. Think about this. In, 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 uh... I'm so far ahead of myself. That was in Luke, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. So, Matthew 26, verse 20 says, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, He said to them, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray Me. Being deeply grieved, they each began to say to Him, Surely not I, Lord. And He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with Me in the bowl is the one who will betray Me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of Him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. What's Jesus saying? Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go just as it was written about Him. What's He saying? I'm so aware of the prophecies over my life. I'm so aware of them that they actually shape The things that I do and the way that I live. The words that God has spoke over my life shape the way I live and change the things I do. Let it be said of us that the Word of God in all its forms, written, spoken, dreams, every way that God communicates with His people, let it be said that the Word of God shapes the way that I live. Jesus says to him, the Son of Man, when He walks into the temple, He asks for a scroll, they hand Him Isaiah. He opens up and starts reading a prophecy about Himself. Why? Because reading what God has said about you is an amazing thing to do because it reminds you why you're here. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news. He's praying me to preach the Gospel to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to set captives free. It's all these things that Jesus came to do, and He declares these things as He reads a prophecy from the book of Isaiah about Himself. Meaning what? When Jesus said He would go into the synagogue and He would read, what's He doing? He's opening the Word of God and He's reading who He is found in Scriptures. You can do the same thing today. That's what it says. The man who looks into the Word of God is like a man who looks into the mirror. Why? Because when you see what God says about you, you see what manner of man you are. So you look into the Word of God and you see what manner of man you are. Why? Because when you see what God said about you, you see who He created you to become. And you don't let the things that you read discourage you when you see that what He says about you and what you know to be true don't line up. You let it encourage you and call you into a greater level of obedience and walking after Him. Because everything He said about you is the potential that you have to become. Every single word that He's ever spoke about your life, you have the potential to become. Everything. You realize when He said to the lady, go and sin no more, she had the potential to walk that out. Otherwise, he's a, He is an absolutely schizophrenic God who does things to frustrate His children by calling them to things that there's no capability of them doing. So do you think she did? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is the potential was there because God spoke. Every time He speaks, it carries the potential. It shows His heart. Come on. this is I'm telling you guys. Listen. We need to get a hold of this because if we did, reading the Bible would no longer be stale. It would no longer be boring because we'd be opening up the Word of God and seeing ourselves. You'd be seeing who you are. What manner of man you are. You'd be seeing why you were created and what He's like. What God is like. Who God is. Who God wants to be for you. When you open the Word and you see that He says one of His names is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That means I want to be your provider. But sometimes there's something required of me just like the manna, right? What did He say to them? He said, listen, I'm going to provide the food. Here's your responsibility. Every single day, you have to go out and gather it and don't try to save some for the next day. What's He saying? I just want you to depend on Me every single day. There's a requirement on them. Remember He says to Saul? So sad, right? Because He anoints Saul as king over Israel. He establishes Saul on the throne. When he did that, his heart was to establish Saul and his family forever on the throne of Israel. God had no intentions of there being another king. We know that's true because when Saul messes it up and is disobedient, Samuel comes to him, tears his robe. He says, thus the Lord says, today I would have established your house forever upon the throne of Israel. But because you have disobeyed, My anointing has left you and found another. Not because I sovereignly decided. That's not what the prophet says. He doesn't look at Saul and say, you know, Saul." God says, I would have established your throne, you on, on the throne forever. Your family. He doesn't really mean that, Saul. I'm just saying that to taunt you and make you feel even worse about the matter. Because he sovereignly decided that you can't be king anymore. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Saul, this is the heart of God. This is what God desired. This was the potential that you had when he anointed you king and placed you on the throne. That you would have been established forever on this throne. But because you have disobeyed Saul. Not because God sovereignly decided. Because God said, because you have disobeyed Saul. Because you have done what is wicked in the sight of the Lord. Today, his anointing has left you and it's found another and your Son will never sit on the throne. Uh, well, that feels heavy, right? Here's the point. It doesn't have to be heavy, but let it be a sobering thing that says that there's things that God desires that people can actually step into and mess up. And that just because you have a word on your life doesn't mean you hit cruise control and wait for that word to come to pass and say, well God, you said it, you have to do it. No, God said that, but He also said a whole lot of other things like study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who is able to rightly divide and handle the word of truth. What's He saying? You have to study the word if you want to be able to accurately handle it. How are you going to stand before people and preach if that's what He's called you to if you're not diligently studying the word and showing yourself to God that you can actually rightly handle it? No, that's just Paul writing to Timothy. No, that's the Word of God breathed by the Spirit. He didn't say, Timothy, you know you've been called to this and you've been had hands laid on you and you've had prophetic words spoke over you and you come from a lineage of faith passed down from your mothers and grandmothers. So you can just coast, Timothy. You're the chosen one. He doesn't say that. He says be diligent in studying the Word of God. Be diligent diligent and show yourself study to show yourself approved unto God a workman rightly able to handle the scripture and divide the word of truth that sounds to me like there's something required of Timothy but I thought he had hands laid on him but I thought there was prophetic promises over his life but I thought he came from a lineage of faith but I thought there was a gift imparted to him by the laying on of hands by Paul Oh, all those things are true. But there was still something required of Timothy. And Timothy could sit back and say, well, I've had hands laid on me. I have all these things. I'm just going to coast. You don't coast in the kingdom. Today's obedience makes tomorrow's obedience easier, but tomorrow's obedience requires tomorrow's obedience. Yesterday's obedience put you in place to be obedient today. Today's obedience puts you in place to be obedient tomorrow, but tomorrow you're still going to have to say yes. The yes yesterday put you in place to say yes today. The yes today will put you in place to say yes tomorrow, but you will have to say yes tomorrow. And tomorrow's yes will put you in place to say yes the day after. And every day after that, it's a continual yes to Him. It's not a coast. And don't ever let a prophetic word be something that you use as an excuse to not diligently seek after Him. Paul said, listen, I go after this one thing I do. I strive. You know how many times Paul used the word striving? We say, there is no striving. You know There isn't any striving in His love to be loved by Him. I'm not working to be loved, but when I know that I'm loved, I'll strive harder than anybody else because I understand who He is and what He's done for me. I and mean, lovers will always do way more than workers will. Why? Because you'll do for love consistently what you could only do out of work for a little while. You will, a, a, a Loving Him will make you live a life that will consistently do things that working would never allow you to keep doing. I promise you. Find a job that you're passionate about. You'll keep doing it and you'll do it amazingly well. Find a job that you're not passionate about and it doesn't matter how much they pay you, you won't consistently do things as well as you would if you were passionate about what you're doing. I promise you. Sometimes you're called to do things you're not passionate about for a while. Do those as if unto the Lord. But I promise you, don't ever settle for just working for the Lord without actually wanting to and being compelled by His love. Because if Paul was compelled by the love of Christ, that means you can be compelled by the love of Christ. And if you don't feel it one morning when you wake up, you go after it anyways. Because you don't live by feelings. But at some point, that love's going to start compelling you. You're going to actually look at people with a broken heart and you're going to say, I just want you to know him. Not because I think that it's the best thing, because I know that it's the best thing. Not because I know, Paul said, do the work of an evangelist, right? To Timothy. It's okay to do the work of an evangelist for a season. But if for the rest of your life you're only doing it because a man told you that you should, there's something missing because at some point the love of God should be the thing that's compelling you. You could do for a season what someone who's over you has asked you to do, but you can't do it for a lifetime without actually falling in love with him. Not well. That's how you get burned out. That's how you get disillusioned, disappointed. Disappointed. That's how you become inauthentic and you become a hypocrite because now you're telling people something that you're not actually living out and experiencing yourself and you're telling them how amazing it is to love God, but you're not actually being loved by Him because you're not seeking Him. You're not spending time with Him. I'm talking to somebody. Listen to me. Don't settle for something you can tell people without experiencing it yourself. It's okay for a season, right? Like if I'm not experiencing something, but I know it's in the Word to tell people, listen, this is what God says. But at some point, I've got to be able to go to the Word and say, God, if You said that and I believe that for other people, at some point, I have to believe that for me. I don't want to keep continually preaching something that I'm not experiencing myself. Because if you said the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I tell someone else that when they're going through a hard time and I tell them, I'm telling you, you can have joy in the season because the Father says the joy of the Lord is your strength. That means He never meant for you to live a day of your life without His joy. If I can boldly declare that and believe that for other people, God, at some point I have to experience that for myself. Because I refuse to live where I'm just preaching something that I know with my head but I don't experience with my heart. Not for a lifetime. Not forever. Another thing that um, that we have to be careful for is that a lot of times when you hear a word, um, it can cause you to become prideful or it cause you to become arrogant. Like we were just talking about with Timothy. Think about David; he's anointed king, and then told to go serve his brothers. Could have just as easily looked at his dad and said, "I'm the king; they should serve me." He doesn't. Why? Because when you receive a Word from God, an anointing from God, when God declares something over your life and you really believe that it's Him, it should bring you to a place of humility. The people with the greatest calling on their life are the people who are the most humble. They're supposed to be. Watch this. Watch Jesus. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples as they were eating. Oh no, wrong verse. Ah, here we go. John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God. What's He saying? Jesus fully realizes who He is, where He came from, and where He's going and knows that all things have been given to Him by the Father. Not some things. Not just a word. Not just a gift. Not just an anointing. All things had been given to Him by the Father. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Then He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Knowing who you are, knowing who God has called you to be, knowing the calling that's on your life should always bring you to a place of ultimate humility. Think about it. It says Jesus, knowing all things had been given to him, knowing where he had come from and where he was going, gets down, wraps a towel around his waist, kneels down, and starts washing the feet of the disciples. Including Judas. Judas. There's a reason that it points out. Knowing that the devil had placed into Judas's heart to betray Him and then tells the story of Jesus washing Judas' feet. Why? Because He's not just washing the feet of the ones who would be faithful to Him for the rest of their lives. He's washing the feet of the man that He knows is going to sell Him for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because He's so humble. He doesn't presume anything. He could have judged Judas at that moment and said, I'll wash everyone's feet but yours because you're the one that's going to betray me. He doesn't. He gets on his knees. Think about the humility. We have a hard time even being nice to somebody and saying hi to somebody if we feel like they've done something to betray us. And we're not even talking about betraying us over to be killed. We're talking about they didn't wave at us in the car line at school. (laughs) We're talking about we were in the neighborhood and they walked by and we said something they didn't even look. We don't know they had earbuds in, right? We just get offended. Come on. Somebody said something about one of my kids one time and I overheard them. And I'll, ne- Are you kidding me? This is Judas Iscariot who's going to sell him to the Romans to be killed for 30 pieces of silver and he gets on his knees and washes his feet. Let that break into our idea of how anointed we are. Let that come crashing down on the Word that we have over our lives and what that should do. Because the Word of God on our lives should bring us to a place of humility where we see ourselves as a servant. Because Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest in the kingdom must become servant of all. And then He not only asks us to do something, He models it for us. What does that look like? I'll get on my knees and I'll wash the feet of the man who's going to betray me. The greatest betrayal ever in the history of humanity is a man selling God for 30 pieces of silver. Think about it. God in the flesh. You can't even fathom that. Jesus is God in the flesh and Judas looks at Him and says, Jesus looks at Judas and says, your life is worth My blood. Judas looks at Jesus and says, your life's worth 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus says, okay, I'll wash your feet. Knowing all things have been given to him, that he came from God, that he was going to God, he gets on his knees and washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. Be careful if you ever let the calling, the anointing, the things that God's declared over your life become a reason to not serve other people and to not live a life of humility. Because before you're called to any of those things, you're called to be like Him and He never did. Even when everybody in the history of the world would have said that Jesus was totally justified in saying, I'll wash all of your feet, but I'm not washing His. Everybody would have said that's okay. That would have been maybe the good way to show them who was going to betray Him because He's going to do that in a little bit anyways, right? Why wash His feet? Why not let that be the way you show everyone? I'm going to wash the feet of everyone but the one who's going to betray me. And nobody would have held it against Him, but He doesn't do that. Why? Because He's letting us know this isn't about whether or not you respond. It's about my love for you. It has nothing to do with the fact of what you're about to do to me. I don't care what you're going to do to me. I'm going to love you. I promise you, at some point Judas realized, oh my goodness, the man who I sold for silver was actually God. And he knew what I was going to do and he washed my feet. And I think that was the thing that wouldn't let Judas live anymore. And that's the reason why he went and ended his own life. Because he couldn't live with the fact that the man who he sold for silver knelt on his knees and washed his feet knowing what he was going to do. Because nobody expects to be loved like that. I just want us to become people who value God's Word and our relationship with Him more than anything. I don't ever want us to be people who chase after something and neglect. Listen, if you want a Word and something that God's already spoken to in Scripture, chances are He's not going to give it to you because He told you to seek. And a lot of times, we want a word on something that God's already spoke to us about. And all that's showing is we don't believe the word we've already got. We want another word. And He's not going to do that because He's not into confirming our unbelief and making us feel comfortable in our unbelief. Sometimes He believes what He spoke to you is good enough. You realize He didn't come to Abraham and remind him of the word over and over and over again? I'm just going to close up with this. Think about this. Abraham gets one word from God. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Your descendants will be more countless than the stars in the sky. Look at the stars, Abraham, and see if you can count them. More abundant than that will be your descendants. How can that be? I don't even have a son, and I'm an old man, and my wife's already passed the age of being able to give birth. Your wife will give birth to a son. His wife laughs. That's it. That's it. Abraham didn't have the luxury of going to someone and saying, I need a word from God. He didn't have the luxury of opening up the Bible and seeing the promises that God had given him. He didn't have any of that. He had one word from God. And God believes that one word is enough to sustain him. And then He says, Abraham, who against hope, hoped. And it's counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he believed and was faithful and believed the word that God spoke. God spoke one word to him. He didn't give him a reminder. He didn't send a prophet once a year to refresh the Word. He didn't come and visit him in dreams at night and keep reminding him over and over and over again because he believed that if Abraham would just believe the Word that He'd given him, God believes if you would just believe the Word that He's given you, that everything He's promised will come to pass. To Him, it's good enough. Why? Because He spoke one word Light be. One word in their, in their language. Light be. One syllable. Just, just one sound comes out of His mouth and the sun is created. He's pretty confident that if He speaks a word to you, that what He spoke will come to pass. So I want us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but I also want us to realize what they're for. I want them to have the right place in our hearts and I want to make sure that we don't get become people who pursue something at the expense of another. That you know that's what happens, right? Cuz there's error in saying that, you know, well none of the spiritual gifts are for today, which the Bible definitely doesn't say. We already talked about that so many times and it's so biblical, right? But the error to that is we come out of that ditch and we swerve so hard into the other ditch where that's all we chase after and we forget the fact that over there in the middle is Jesus and the scriptures. That over there is Jesus saying, "Study to show yourself approved unto God. Study what scriptures that Jesus memorized the scriptures that when Jesus answered the devil when he was being tempted by him he didn't use a prophetic word he used a word that was already established in the written scriptures to defeat the enemy and he's our prime example I'm not saying that listen if Jesus would have spoke something new it would have became scripture but instead because he's our example he actually takes something that's already written and defeats the enemy with that we would do good to follow in his example To know the Word. And when you're reading it, no, read it to know, there's a time in my life where I'll need this because God does not waste His words because He values His Word even above His own name. He exalts His Word above His own name. He doesn't waste it. If He said, don't cast your pearls before swine, He said, don't give something of value to someone that can't value it. He, sa- he does the same thing about His Word. Meaning what? If He gave you His Word, He trusts that you are probably capable of valuing it. And that it's capable of accomplishing what He wants to, to accomplish. If He believes that, then that means when I read that Word, there's a time coming in my life where I'm going to need this. And even if in the moment it doesn't make a huge impact on I me, mean, even if in the moment I'm like, whoa, God, that's so amazing. Thank You for this revelation. The Word of God is going inside of me and there will come a day when the Spirit of God brings into remembrance what Jesus said. And I'll know why I needed to know that Word because it will come bubbling up from inside of me because I have it inside of me. Study it. Know it. It's the filter we run prophetic words through anyways. How are you going to judge whether the Word was from God or not if you don't know what God's already spoke? Come on. We have to know these things. Value these things. I want to be a family of God that just values. That we just know the Word. That we, you know what you realize? Most of the time when I give someone a word of encouragement, it's from the Scripture. Almost everything I say to people, there's a Scripture verse. Why? Because it's the best way to know God's heart is by knowing what He's already said about the situation. And if I need more than that, He'll give it to me because He's a good Father that doesn't withhold gifts from His children. And if I'm listening and I'm being obedient, if I need to operate in something else, He'll give it to me because I desire that. But I'm not going to wait on the thing that that I don't know is coming and and at the neglect of the thing that He's already given me. And that's His Word. It's the Spirit inside of me. So God, I just thank You for that. God, I thank You that that we would be able to properly steward gifts, God. That we would be able to properly steward these things that You've placed into our lives, God. That the callings and the giftings and the the anointing and, and the things You've called us into, God, that they would never become a source of pride or arrogance or entitlement, God. But that we would humble ourselves before You, believing to the core of who we are that what You said about us is truth and being humbled by that in the same way that Jesus was. God, don't ever let us withhold our love because of somebody's actions to us. In fact, maybe that person needs their feet washed more than anyone. Maybe they're the one at the table that's hurt. And they need their feet washed more than anyone else. I just thank You for that, Father. I thank You that You're good, that You're kind. In Jesus' name, amen.